0: Hi, hello. How are you? How are we doing? Thanks for stopping by. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to some real people about some real things, living real lives, doing real stuff. This is the Working Perspectives Podcast. As always, I'm Matt Lavelle, accompanied by my editor and producer, Tom Byers. Our guest today is a car porter for a dealership, Jeff Podkesey, also known as Polotsky. Uh, before we get to our guest, though, I'd like to say that you can follow us on instagram and youtube at working perspectives podcast you can join us on twitter at working tea pod and if you would like to be a guest on the show email us at working at gmail.com and we'll put you through the approval process uh before we get to this guest i would just like to have our guest expert burn podcasty give us a, synops- a synopsis of what to expect from our guest this week burn take it away some fun facts about polatsky
1: He was born with at least a dozen extra teeth. He once turned down $150 cash money just to eat a steamed clam. And last year, he almost cut his hands off with an
0: electric hedge trimmer. Alright, thanks Burn. Those were some fun facts from Jeff he aka polatsky Uh Bern, can't wait to have you back on. All right, let's get the show started. All right, Shake, well, let me tell you about this guy.
2: Yes, sir. This
0: guy? This guy's a good one. All right, so Shake, you're a younger brother. I'm a younger brother. We're mm-hmm. younger brothers,
2: right? Mm-hmm. Hard carrying.
0: Hard carrying. So there's a difference, though, when you run into the baby of the family. Now, I know mm-hmm. that you had that moniker for quite some time.
2: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was taken away from you but sometimes you can run into the baby of the family and they can be quite a snood. Not in this case, this guy's one of the good ones. All right. Mm. I met him a number of years ago. And one of the first things he ever said to me was fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Kind Kind of, kind of generalizes him in a sense. Fair enough. Fair enough. He's an excellent fantasy football player. He survived being the youngest of three boys. Life hasn't been easy for him. And he was able to get approved. Approved yeah. to be on this podcast, which Ooh. not everybody does.
2: No guarantee. What,
0: no guarantee. Tell me, talk, talk to Cheryl at the PAAA. All right. Mm-hmm. She, she let this guy through. That means he's class A. So, yeah. real quick. Uh, I saw Pulaski coming up through the ropes, and I saw him raise him, Kind of took him under my wing and treated him as one of my own, and was really happy to see the the stunning gentleman he turned into today. And you know, there's sometimes when I feel when you hit an age and you got to step the hell up, right? And when it's your turn to step the hell up, you got to step the hell up. So number of years ago, a situation occurred in his family's household where they needed a man to step the hell up to help out. And he mm. stepped the hell up and he helped out. And he was a man then. And he did a man thing and made a man decision, right? So he went from being the boy, the youngest, to being one of the men, part of the crew. He was already there, but this just solidified it. Yeah, There's no trial more by fire. Sh- There's no more little brother shit after this. Mm. So I know that was a quicker one than everyone's used to, but I'm just excited <laughs> to get this guy on. So, Jeff, I know everything's going great. Oh, and uh, everyone's going to, he's called Polatsky, all right? So you're just going to hear me call him Polatsky. But, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff, I know everything's going great. You're doing great. Thanks for coming on. Uh, before we get everything started, have you seen the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? And if yes, what do you think of that piece of shit movie?
1: Um, absolutely not. And based off of what I've heard on this podcast thus far, I'm not going to. I've heard all I need to hear. Goddamn
0: <laughs> right you're not. You're goddamn right you're not.
2: No, oh, come on. Right? Nope. No, you gotta no. give it a he shot.
0: Like trash.
1: He's, <laughs> he
0: gets enough smut on the internet. He doesn't need to see that garbage. <laughs> Bro. <Right? laughs> movie was a travesty. A travesty.
2: It's considered the greatest story ever told.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> Real nice. I'm sure William Wallace has a thing or two to say about that. All right, pal. So, Polanski was born and raised in 44 PA and he did K through 12 for Catholic school all the way through the shebang. Now I know for me, I was the third of my family to go through Catholic school. So that my sister had already gone before me and so did my older brother asshole. Mm -hmm. And there was kind of like a, you know, preconceived notion of how, you know, what uh, of the Lavelle kids would behave. And I don't know where they got that from. It's kind of a. <laughs> but, uh, Palats, did you face any of that having, you know, old tall drink of water burn and shit eating grin Mike coming through the Catholic school before you?
1: Oh, oh a- absolutely. The, um, the expectations for me were a little bit lower though. Uh, Mike was a state champion in basketball. Um, all. Um, All conference goalie in soccer, Ugh. Uh, president of his class, uh, homecoming king. Ugh. So no Ugh. one really expected me to keep up with that, which I I really enjoyed. Actually,
0: golly, enough to make you vomit. That's disgusting. <laughs> Jesus Christ! State champion, all conference basketball, soccer, prom king, homecoming king, shit-eating grin my god my god
2: the nerve Ugh.
0: yeah what a yeah the nerve guy jesus <laughs> and he had a great best friend in the big thrill nick gill friend of the show yeah Ugh. yeah absolutely did that guy not, best man ever did that guy not hit a fucking home run jesus christ <laughs> so okay so you did k through 12 uh, so I know this, right? Uh, well, then you, uh, after that you did East Stroudsburg, kicked around a, yeah, uh, a couple coffees at a couple uh, community colleges, but while you were in school, you had a couple sports you did. Now, people on air can't really see him, but he's a tall drink of water. This kid, they call him the Ooh. Iron String, right? So <laughs> he's got, he was a swimmer, played a little soccer, did a little footy footy football. But tell me, uh, how'd you do with swimming? When did you start swimming plots?
1: Um, I started swimming my, uh, sophomore year, mm-hmm. uh, just for the, just for the year, just because I couldn't get on a soccer team, uh, an indoor soccer team for the winter. Oh. So I thought it'd be a great way to keep in shape. And I mean, honestly, I was in the best shape of my life at that point. Really? Oh yeah. We would, um, we would go and we'd lift an hour before going to practice and when you got to practice, um, a down and back is 50, is a 50.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And we, we would start out with a warm up of uh, 5,000. Ah! Ah! Yeah.
0: So, what uh, do the math? Uh, what is that? F- f- fucking 50 laughs or something? Yeah, somewhere in that range. Jesus, shit on my face. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> oh, yeah. No way. No way. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Make
0: and fucking tag, I'm out no being way. a
2: uh, being a member of the football team. I always uh, was super jealous of the swimmers that would come up to the gym and they would pop in like like you said, uh, Polatsky, pop in for a little bit, do a quick lift and then get out of there and take care of other you know, practice. But also, by the way, have like zero percent body fat. And oh. when you when you get older, you you have a lean body. Whereas football players, when they finish up, if you're a uh, if you're a veteran football player like me that just finishes in high school, it's kind of a it's a downhill slope. You you know you're short, you gain a little, <laughs> all that muscle turns into fat. But these swimmers, that body's for life, man. That's you know they get to keep that lean body going for a long time.
0: Yeah, shakes being modest, Pulaski. He was one of those mics. Captain of the football team, dated the cheerleader, prom king, homecoming. Matt coming, does this everybody. every
2: episode. This is, <laughs> this is- okay.
1: okay. so that's what we're dealing with here. All right, yeah. let's go shake. Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> but you know- let me ask you this question. Sorry, Matt, to interrupt, but I you have to ask because think- there was one thing that tied the swimmers and the wrestlers, and Matt has yeah. a lot of uh, wrestling stories. One thing that ties them together, and it's the weirdest thing in the world, and it's the bleached hair. I want to know, did the swimmers in your school bleach their hair?
1: Um, no, they didn't. Uh, we actually, our school was so small that uh, that was the first year that we actually had a swimming program. Oh, so,
0: shit. Did you have to swim at like a neighboring high school?
1: Uh, we uh, we would go swimming at the CYC, the local CYC. Okay. Okay. Uh,
0: uh. Is that like a youth center? I guess.
1: Uh, yeah, the uh, Catholic youth. Center. Ah, I see.
0: So okay, so I know another thing that tied wrestlers <laughs> at our school together. Uh, so the I guess the swim, the swimming place is called a natatorium, right? Big word. Uh, no big deal. <laughs> so the natatorium at our school was always really hot because it was heated. It was always really hot. So we had like mm. a relationship with the swim coaches. like sometimes for wrestling practice, we wouldn't go to practice. We would have to go to the natatorium and run the bleachers at the nat because like we had a really big swimming team at our high school and they had like bleachers built into the natatorium. So we would have to go to the natatorium and run there to cut weight. And like we'd run there for a whole practice. And not only were these son of a bitch bastard swimmers, you know, able to do whatever, but they're also fucking able to eat whatever they wanted. And we're told to eat a lot because they're burning all these calories. So I remember one time I'm running for like running for a whole practice. And like this kid trying to be a smart ass is like, I haven't eaten in days and he's eating a hot dog and looking at me like, Ooh, this is so delicious. And I was like, how about, you know what else is delicious? My foot in your face, bam. You know? And even the (laughs) swimming coach was like, yeah, you're an asshole. Leave the fucking guy alone. He's miserable. I was like, you're right. I am
2: miserable. And I'm like, hold on. It's terrible. Leave me alone. Leave yeah, this poor, uh, miserable kid alone.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we had, uh, you know, it, the way we used to cut weight back in the day was almost criminal. But yeah, we had, uh, we had like a relationship with the swim team. You know, they were a bunch of goofballs too, just like us. We were goofballs. But yeah, they were, I mean, they also too, I, I know at our school, like uh, we would do, they did morning practice, which I always, which I always respected because they would do, morning practice before school and then have practice after school. And we did the same thing. And they were one of the few teams that did that. So I always respected that. If you're willing to wake up and put in the hours, get in the hard hours in the pool, you know, but <laughs> so from what I understand about swimming, the kickboard is your best friend at the beginning. Is that, is that some truth behind that Polask? Tell me about it.
1: Um, yeah, I would have to say so. I mean, it just made it so much easier to use the kickboard. Um, I mean, it built up your legs, which I was looking for for soccer, but it was just easy, man. Like, you would go and do 30 laps with the kickboard. You're not really thinking about it. You're just doing it. Yeah.
0: Kind of a relaxing thing, too, right? You're just just doing the water up and back, up and back.
2: Yep. Easy. So what's going on with the kickboard? Isn't that like I thought that was from when you're learning to swim? Is that what you're referring to? Or like
0: you also so like imagine you're like you're training your legs, really. Your legs are like your jet propulsion, right? Like I feel like like your arms move differently and your core, I guess, but your legs are they're cooking no matter what the whole time, right? So it's like Right, you got to get your legs ready to cook for 50 laps or whatever, you know, a quick, let's do a quick 5,000, huh guys? Quick 50,000. <laughs> you know? So like, you got to get your legs ready to cook like that. So maybe, you know, like you're, I think, I feel like the, the thing is like just practice going in a straight line kind of, right. Is that the idea Pilotsk?
1: Um, yeah. And well, and with the kickboard, you would still do the uh, flip turn at the end. You'd have to take it underneath. Um, Night. That was the easy part. The miserable part was there was a small float that looked like a figure eight. Yeah, that when you weren't using the kickboard, you had to put between your thighs, uh, so you weren't actually to kick. You it was just arms. Oh shit on
0: my face! That's the worst.
1: And that was and that was goddamn miserable.
0: <laughs> oh, that sounds like the worst thing going. That's brutal, but brutal. I wonder <laughs> if too. I mean. Oh, that is, that is awful. I don't know. To me, I mean, so here's a funny story. All right. So Rocky Marciano, you ever heard of him? You know him, you love him. Mm -hmm. So Rocky Marciano, what he used to do to train, and this was kind of way ahead of his time is that he would go to a pool and the pool would be like, you know, like, like, I guess like a little over five feet deep or whatever it is. He would stand in it so that just his like chin and head were above the water and he would walk up and down the pool throwing hooks under the water right and he'd do like hundreds of laps up and back of just throwing hooks under the water and building that muscle resistance from like punching underwater <laughs> and it was like they say <laughs> that he is his punches is one of the hardest punches ever so you know i don't know i always wanted to get a pool and maybe just do a couple laps punching. is this, you know? is this a, a public pool he was in well, I'm assuming it was probably public at the beginning, but then when he became like, you know, the yeah, the biggest boxer in the world, you know, I'm assuming and what, he was like, yeah, I can rent
2: a pool. What um, years do you think he was active, if you had to guess?
0: Gosh. Uh well I'm trying to think. So he was, I think the he was his heyday might have been in the sixties.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: So I think he would have been, yeah, through the sixties because I'm I just wondering Charles if this was,
2: guy is in the uh, standard Santa Claus, like full one piece bathing suit do you know what i'm talking about
0: uh, yeah yeah no no he's definitely not in that he uh <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's just shorts and nothing else like, because he was it was post-world war ii so okay you were yeah because he had uh, so been 50s after the 60s through. Yeah. So he was after Joe Lewis because he had knocked out, I believe he knocked out Joe Lewis, but Joe <laughs> Lewis was at like the end of his career and Joe Lewis had beaten Max Schmeling and Max Schmeling. Yeah. And, you know.
2: Can you imagine so, being like a mother? Like you bring your two young kids to the pool, tell them to behave. And Oh, by the way, stay away from that weird statue guy that is slowly walking up and down the pool, swinging at people. You know.
0: <laughs> I, I would love to see like later in his career, right? Like Marciano, just like, imagine if you go to like the Y and like you're one of those nerd, like those dweeb kids that would go to like swim and whatever, and you just every day would see this like 70-year-old man just walking up and back the pool, just walking up and back, throwing stuff, like throwing whatever under the water. You're like, who is this creepy weirdo just walking up and down? Doesn't he know that you swim in the pool? You know, I don't know. But, yeah.
1: He's either one of the best boxers of all time or a crazy person.
2: yeah or both, <laughs> either, either,
1: yeah, or either both. yeah
0: either <laughs> way for That's sure tight. so all right so you did some swimming uh not gonna lie swimming to me i mean i don't know swimming is a hell of a sport and you have to be in some serious shape i dated a couple swimmers my day no big deal and uh you know they were they they that's a serious serious sport being able to swim like you have to be a real athlete to do that so you know but then also it's like you know you're a swimmer so you gotta do that one of the things okay here's one of the things that i think swimming and wrestling shared a common thing was is that we both got made fun of a lot for your athletic attire right so like obviously swimming you're gonna get eaten alive with a speedo you know what I mean? And I'm sure Pulaski. you know, you're a nice, you're a, you're a strapping young man. I'm sure you had nothing to worry about in a Speedo, you good looking son of a bitch. But, uh, oh, no. yeah, but then, you know, when you have, uh, some body conscious people getting in a, in a singlet, a one, a one piece singlet, like shake was just talking about the old swimsuits, you know, mm-hmm. and rolling around <laughs> on the floor with some other fellas right? That's when you get, you hear it. Oh, look at those, look at those guys over there, you know? So I always feel like the swim team and the wrestling team had, had a common bond and people making fun of our attire. So uh either way, so let's move on a little bit. So you did swimming, but you also did soccer. Now was there, can you, can you, I heard uh something of an incident maybe with the, the soccer team Pulaski, maybe no. Yes.
1: Um, are you allowed to expand incident, on this? I'm not sure which which incident you might be you might have heard of. Uh, <laughs> there are several.
0: Oh, uh, well, the one I was referring to is when a coach lost his temper a little bit at you for quitting the team. Maybe that was a swimming coach. Oh no, that was a swimming coach. <laughs> yeah, they're nuts. They're all nuts. Every swimming.
1: Coach. Yeah. Well, I I mostly swam once again to to stay in shape for soccer. And I was getting, I was getting better at swimming and I was able to eventually get on an indoor soccer team. So I, I said, I'm I'm done with swimming. And this guy put me up against a wall in the locker room and was just like way overly passionate about it. He
0: was like, I think you have, your coach put you up against the wall in the locker room when you told him you were going to quit the swim team. Yeah. You must have looked wow. so goddamn good in a speedo. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no wonder he's upset.
1: He's losing his best looking kid. What? What, t- this guy just keeps looking up and just being like, I think you have a future in this. And he was just way over the uh, way over the top. What if so What if he was right,
0: Polotsk? What if right now you could be, you know, smoking some weed with Michael Phelps? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like what if? What if this guy was fucking right and you missed it? The
1: road, you're, you're yeah, the road, the, I I have the road not taken. Sure. I mean, like,
0: so Matt, if you're willing to jack up a kid against the wall for, because he's quitting the swim team, you must you you must really believe that this kid's your ticket out. You know, like, <laughs> like, like, God damn it, you yeah. plans to
1: take this kid all the way to the top, yeah. and now. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah this guy doesn't seem to have much going on in his life. So yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the fuck is going on there. But Oof,
0: northeastern PA, there, there's some people up there. My my old man is a descendant of coal miners up there in northeastern PA, and uh, well, it's a special breed up there. Special, special breed. Do you have a message or a story inside of you that you've been waiting to tell? Have you always dreamed of writing a book but are intimidated by the complexities of the book publishing world? Perhaps you want to use a book to launch your public speaking or consulting career. If so, please reach out to Scott & Bell Publishing located right here in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Scott & Bell Publishing handle all genres and authors with all experience levels. Scott & Bell Publishing gives authors 100% creative freedom and a higher royalty split. They can be found at www.skotbell.com. That's www.s is in Sam, k is in kite, o is in October, t e is Tom, b is boy, e is Edward, l is in Larry, l is in Larry.com. That's Scott and Bell Publishing, where the authors go. So you get jacked up by the swim coach because he saw that you were the next Greg Louganis. And then you told him to shove off and you got done with some swimming. And because and you never you never were like lying about this. You told him, like, look, I'm doing this to stay in shape. So when I play soccer again, I'm not a freaking wet noodle. No pun intended. So he knew this was coming the whole time. Right. He just was refusing to admit it. So that's that's his fault. But uh, okay, so you you're done with swimming. You you tell the coach to go, you know, go put an egg in his shoe and beat it. And <laughs> so you're back. You're back with the soccer team, right? So how was how was yeah. soccer? When did you start playing soccer?
1: I started playing soccer. Um, well, I mean, I started playing like intramural when I was a kid for the like, 44th pioneers, like the T-shirt league gimmick. Yeah. Um and then I continued playing all the way through high school. I played travel um high school as well and uh Nice. Yeah. That illustrious career ended there.
0: Dude, I'm not I'm not going to lie, right? Soccer players I, to me at least, it was always like the unattainable thing. So, I was born in California, right? And in California, soccer is king, obviously right so uh yeah it's gonna be so soccer was king so soccer was really big over there so everybody played soccer then i came over here and wanted to play soccer as well but my sister was on the travel team my brother was on the travel team i always tried out and never made the travel team (laughs) right so i always wanted to be on the travel team but could never do it so those kids that played travel soccer was like god you're so cool you know but i wasn't one of them but you know I always thought, man, I wish I could. But then I played football, and I was like, oh, soccer's for the birds. But uh, (laughs) for a number of years there, I wanted to be a travel soccer player. How did you like being a travel soccer player? And was your team any good? And, you know, go ahead.
1: Uh, I loved playing travel. Uh, I played with a bunch of friends from school. um, And it was funny the way the the Valley is broken up. Everybody that was on our travel soccer team – we were at different schools for high school. So I knew everybody. I knew a kid on every other team that we had come together and played travel for. No shit. Um, it was good. We were good, man. Uh, the Back Mountain Blues. Uh, I don't think they exist anymore. I think they're disbanded. What name? What
2: name? The Back Mountain Blues? Oh, yep. that's a good one. Damn! That Sounds like a, a Disney Green. Channel movie or something about a soccer team, like the Big Green. But maybe it's like a yeah. sequel.
1: <laughs> well, our uh, our our insignia was just like a music note. So you know the blues, I whatever. <laughs> but yeah, we were good, man. We were we were good. Uh, we we uh, dominated the Gettysburg tournament um, a few years running. There you go. Yeah.
0: That's a big one. I know my brother played it uh, at Gettysburg. That's a huge tournament. That's a big, like, statewide tournament. Well, plus two, I guess, because you said Mike's team would end up winning a state championship in soccer. So, I guess, like, you know, soccer's a big deal if you guys are winning like that. So, I mean, like, you know, you probably had, you're only, what, two years younger than Mike?
1: Yeah, well, um, Mike actually ended up winning a state championship in basketball. Oh my! But problem. oh, oh, oh! Yeah, no, no. Uh, that's where we screwed up. He was a state championship in basketball. He was also all conference in soccer. Oh, so, oh, oh, big swinging
0: I, dick, shit-eating grin, Mike. You know what? He can take that cool. soccer ball and basketball. He can <laughs> shove it. All right. The soccer king of the his hands. Home, his homecoming king crown, and he can wear it where the sun don't shine. All right. Golly that <laughs> kid didn't have enough going for him you know he also has beautiful curly hazel locks as well. have seen them right Ooh. this kid got everything lucky bastard God.
1: In, 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 uh in soccer um we me and Mike's team actually went farthest in school history uh beating out my oldest brother who set that record previously. What? So that's a nice fender in our cap. There you
0: go. Wait, so went furthest in like postseason for the school? Like yeah, yeah. tournament.
1: Uh yeah, yeah. For Bishop O'Reilly, we we went uh furthest in states that our school had ever gone, um, previously beating Burn, So we hold that no. against them all the time.
0: That's how you do it, Polatsk. That's <laughs> how you <Yeah>. do it. Yeah, <laughs> love that. I fucking love that. Good. That's how it should be. You know what I'm saying? Good. Screw.
2: Him. Before we go Screw further, him. can we uh, can we establish the nickname Polotsky and where that came about?
1: Yes, let's do it. Please, Polotsky. Yeah, give us
2: the lowdown on the, on this name.
1: Sure. Um pr- prior to that, I was um my brother Mike's nickname is Pod. Uh, so I was either just Pod's younger brother or little Pod. Mm. And um it it came out of nowhere. Uh, one night I was home and my my parents called and they said, hey, we're coming home from, you know, Uncle Mike's house. Uh, we'll be back in like 20 minutes. I said, okay, that's fine. My brother Mike stumbles in the door and I look at him and I say, hey, Mike, mom and dad just called. You uh, you got to go upstairs and go to bed. Uh, they'll be home in like 20 minutes. And he just simply looked up at me and just said, fuck you, Polatsky. <laughs> <laughs> And I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? Get upstairs now. And he said it again. And I just looked at him. And I said, who the fuck is Polotsky? And he just said, you're Polotsky. <laughs> so I'm sitting there arguing with him to get upstairs before my parents come in and kick his dick in. <laughs> and I eventually get him upstairs. And the following morning, he wakes up. And I was like, what happened last night, man? Like, who is Polotsky? And he just kind of like looked around and just looked at me. He's like, you're Polatsky. And it just, it just stuck from there. God damn. I love it. God. Yeah. my Did you two share a room? Uh, no, we didn't. Thank God. We would have probably killed each other. Yeah.
0: Shake. Share. I was a room share. Shake. You shared a room, right? Obviously,
2: shared them all. I shared a room with like every sibling except for my sister.
0: <laughs> Shake is one of six. <laughs>
2: Are you the youngest of six? So I was the youngest for 12 years. Um, and then my, <laughs> okay. my little brother was born. So we have my siblings, the oldest was born in 1980 and the youngest was born in 2000. So that's, that's, and then everybody else was born in between, obviously, because that's how that works. 20
0: years of family fun. How about it? Yeah, yeah no <laughs> doubt.
2: But yeah, yeah. The old, the old room shuffle. That's, that was uh, always a good time.
0: Yeah, I never had my own room. We I shared with Alex and then I shared with Tom. And then eventually, me, Alex, and Tom lived in the same room. And it was just we had three mattresses on the floor, and that's where you slept. Yeah.
1: Is that why uh, Tom's not allowed on the podcast?
0: Uh, so, first off, uh, his name's Asshole. And <laughs> not that he's not allowed on the podcast, he's not approved. I'd have nothing. People think that this is a sham. I have no I have nothing to do with the approval process. It's all the PAAA. You had mm. to go the PAAA Burn had to go through the PAAA. Everyone has to go through the PAAA and I don't know like it's not my fault that they're not approving him. You know, it's the Podcast Approval Association of America. Maybe if we go international, the international PAA or whatever it is, you know, maybe they'll approve him if we go international, but right now we're America and we're proud and we're not going anywhere. Okay. So
2: I, I, but I think I think people are wondering if you're actually doing everything you can or if you're just happily letting this this block happen.
0: Oh Mike, I was on the phone with Cheryl from the PAAA for two yeah. hours the other day. She wanted to clear Voldemort, who's not even a real person. She was mm-hmm. gonna clear Voldemort, but this Jabroni Joe, Tom Lavelle, whoever the hell he is. You know, he keeps begging to come on. He's hitting. He's probably sent us a hundred emails. He tries (laughs) to text us and call us to come on. And hey, man, we're doing our best. But
2: but do they know? Do they know what kind of screen? Like, do we know what kind of screening they do or what kind of background checks? Because, I mean, for for what I know, your brother doesn't have anything that really would prevent him from getting on. There must be some skeletons in the closet. I guess is what I'm getting at. Or or somebody clandestinely is 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 preventing him from getting on is is i guess that's what i'm saying
0: so uh the first requirement is that you have to bleed uh red white and blue like a goddamn american all right (laughs) that's requirement number one we love america on this podcast and then number two uh you can't be a scumbag asshole so maybe that's where the skeleton is i don't know i don't have access to his closet cheryl does and apparently she found plenty of skeletons yeah you know no, I don't know. I mean, also, I think uh I don't know. I haven't checked the a bylaws, but I think there's a one-tom limit per podcast. You can't have a two-tom cast. No one wants a two-tom cast. I don't want a two-tom cast. If you have a two-tom cast, what are we even doing here? Like, why don't we just go to East Jibet? This is America. This is America's podcast, red, white and blue. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. You've shrouded yourself in patriotism here and and I'm I think saying, I'm just telling you. I think the the listeners are going to see this as you uh, kind of diverting away from from really facing w- what what is the issue at hand here. And it's just it's like a festering pimple. Like people people realize this is getting a little out of hand, and at some point you're going to have to face this. I, I think well, that's tell, on here.
0: Tell the tell the people tell the people to contact mm-hmm. Cheryl at the AAA. Okay, okay? because. Okay. Do you want the PAAA breathing down our neck? Shake okay, we have enough going on. No,
2: I mean, right? that one time the when we thought an audit was coming down, uh, that we, we really had to scramble, that was going to be real bad.
0: Oof. Was. <laughs> was sure, was buddy, sure yeah. was. Now, imagine if it was Cheryl, right? You yeah. know, maybe, maybe there's a story, I don't know, maybe not so yeah i mean i don't know uh there's a message or something people want to get to cheryl they can they can hit up the p triple a and get to cheryl but as of now my hands are tied and it's not like i haven't been trying okay you know there's a bunch of people that weren't approved last week like uh tom dick and harry and uh tom and jerry and uh Tomless, thomas's english muffins they would have been a great get i would love to talk to the thomas who made thomas's english muffins
2: mm, okay not tom arnold
0: uh, I could do without Tom Arnold. <laughs> I could do without Tom Arnold. First thing I would ask Tom Arnold... Actually, I
1: wouldn't.
0: <laughs> Forget it. I'm not going to ask. It's too, we have, have to listen to this
2: podcast. I'm not I, have, yeah,
1: I have no idea where you're
2: going with that, LaBelle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, fans, now for a little break in the action, we're going to do some new segment to the show. This is The Date You Hate with our good friend Wolfgang Bach. Wolfgang, what's the date and what hey, do you Matt, hate? The date is October 16th, 1895. So I show up for work today and all the damn apples are picked. I mean, what the hell am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to pick all these apples all damn day long and they're all gone. Who the hell comes in here and picks apples at night? That's the date, and that's what I hate. All right, that was the date you hate with our good friend Wolfgang Bach. Now back to the show. <laughs> All right. So uh, anyway, um, Polotsk, I believe when we spoke earlier, you had an interest in someone else's nickname and where that originated from. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, Sheikh, I'm 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 very interested at this point. I haven't heard anything on the podcast yet mm-hmm. to indicate where you got your nickname yeah, from.
0: We've been calling him Shake the whole time, and not one of these selfish bastards that we've had as a guest has bothered to ask Shake
2: yeah. where he
0: got his nickname. Shake, do you want me to tell, or do you want to give the goods?
2: Why don't Why don't I tell? Because I'm I'm You're used right, to dealing with selfish that. people. But okay. Uh, wow. wow! No, oh, and shots fired. Shots fucking fired. Shake, right. It's interesting because uh, the Sixers uh, currently have a player named Shake Milton on their team. And okay. recently the broadcaster told the story of how he got his nickname. So there's, there's more than one Shake out there. But here's how I got my nickname. Um, there was a Milk ad, like the Got Milk ads back in the 90s, yep. if you guys remember them. And Got Milk Um, the brand really went hard on their advertising and kind of making it more aimed towards a younger demographic. They wanted kids to drink their milk. Um, And there was a commercial in the 90s that uh, was set at a basketball court, like an outdoor uh, basketball court with a fence and a bunch of dudes playing basketball. And all of a sudden, this giant milk carton walks up. Um, and it's like a, a dude in a paper milk carton, but he's got his face sticking out of it. Whoa, what's, what's up? Oh, see, that's a miss. It's lame. And he's talking trash, like a, at a basketball court. He's talking trash on the basketball players and basically implying that they're all weaklings because they don't drink their milk. Sports drinks,
1: colas, like that's working up there, but you get something good. Vitamin D. I got you Want the D. You need me. Who's got some milk? Milk, milk, milk. Yeah. milk, milk, milk. Oh, right there basket's that way chief
2: yeah and that's the whole ad campaign is drink your milk otherwise you'll be weak um and he's with a little bit of an entourage so his entourage that he rolls up with is like a a stick of broccoli um you know uh, maybe like the ketchup bottle or something is with them and
1: oh i think i remembered this
2: yeah yeah absolutely and we'll post it on our we'll post it on our twitter page cuz i actually found it recently right. Just to that's verify great. that it exists. And um, so one of the people that rolls up with them in like a costume is a milkshake, like a slim fest, like you know, like a a pre-bought milkshake that's in a little plastic bottle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the, the main character is the big milk carton, and he has a whole entourage of things with him. And he's talking trash and talking trash and saying, like, you know, you guys are weak because you don't have milk. And at the very end, he says a phrase. When you guys are done denying, you know, your beverage problem, give me a call. I'll be in the fridge. Come on, Shake. And he turns around and he says, come on, Shake. And he walks away. And he re- was referring to the little milkshake that was like a sidekick. And... Right. For that few month period, it was kind of a known thing. Like that commercial was very popular for those couple of months that it was on. And throughout uh, my childhood, I was always like a sidekick because I had a lot of older brothers and a lot of friends of older brothers, and we were all kind of like a big crew. And it became a thing for them uh, to you know, be hanging out and use the phrase, come on, shake, telling me to join them or to, you know, leave the spot we were at to go to another spot. So hence my name became Shake and it's kind of lasted uh, probably too long because nobody even remembers that anymore. So that, (laughs) yeah, only a few, a few, a few, uh, lucky people remember that reference. So there it is.
0: Shake's being modest as well. Again, he's being modest, common theme with Shake. But Shake is three years younger than me, and he has two older brothers that I'm sandwiched in between in age. His older brother Kevin's a year younger than me, and his older brother Anthony is a year older than me, right? But Shake was a good enough athlete that he could hang with us. So when we were playing football or whatever, baseball or whatever, boxing or whatever, Shake was there because he could hang. If you were a younger kid and you couldn't hang, we didn't bother with you because it wouldn't. There was no point. So, right good enough athlete that he could stick around. His big, but you know he, you know he he doesn't like to admit that that he's a he's a stud athlete, captain of the football team. You really, you really
2: need to cut this out, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, The thing is, is I don't associate it with like athleticism at all. Like what I really remember is us being at the, uh, the St. Stan's fair. If yeah. you, we all, you know, from our neighborhood, if you, if you grew up where we grew up, the St. Stan's fair was like the, um, parish Literally. fair at the end of the summer. Yeah. And it was always packed, packed and packed with people. It was a big deal. Um, which is hard to think about now with COVID and everything. Imagine like just being loaded into like a parking lot with hundreds of people. But I, that's where right. I remember the use of the term "shake" would be. You know, my brothers and their older friends would be hanging out at the fair, and I I specifically remember one one time when uh, a buddy named Miller, and that's his he, that was a nickname of his. It's not his real name. His name was Miller. Yeah. I remember him like jokingly hitting on girls at the fair. And then when it inevitably didn't work, you know, surprise, surprise, didn't work. He would turn to me and say, come on, shake. And we would walk away. And that was the point of it. Like that's what I remember the nickname kind of uh, being, I don't remember it being anything attached with athleticism in (laughs) in any way. (laughs) I think Matt is just trying to uh, put down his own little brother, a little, a little, uh, Little side-handed put down on his own little brother.
0: My little brother wasn't interested in athletics. We all know that.
2: We were playing if we were gonna do
0: uh play Xena Warrior Princess, he was all in, but not in athletics. <laughs> True story. Had a chakra. Tell him, tell you about it. He'll be on the show. Tell us about it. So all right. So, Polotsk, let's move on to uh, – we'll do one more sports thing. Football. You were doing a little footy-footy football action there, huh? Huh.
1: Um, well, I, I mean, it, that's kind of an asterisk on, um, on my sports career due to the fact that our football team was so bad that uh, – well, going to Catholic school, we had to do community hours uh, each semester, so like 20 community hours. Our football team was so horrendously bad that if you join the football team, that counted as your community service.
0: Jesus. Wow. Um, you must have been doing a service. I, Jeez, O.P. Could you imagine well they, that
1: um, uh, Jesus.
2: I, 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 I well, can't for, fathom that. That's insane.
1: Well, for example, um, they played a Canadian football team who <laughs> drove to the United States, <laughs> played Played American football for the first time ever. And we lost. (laughs) Just to give me some context of of how bad this team was. So anyway, um, I thought to myself, hey, I could I can go out for the football team as a kicker because I played soccer and get my community hours. And my best friend was like the best guy on the team. Yeah. So I, I go out to the tryout and I should put tryout in quotations. Um, I showed up, I kicked a few balls. They said I was on the team. Nice. They made me a Jersey with my name on the back. And then I found out that, uh, my buddy told me that they were going to have me kick for them, but then they were going to have me play wide receiver and cornerback.
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Um, and I weighed, I weighed 120 pounds soaking wet at the time. So I would have been killed. Yeah. So I actually never played it in a football game, but I do have my Jersey with my name on the back.
0: That's what you want anyway. Yeah.
2: That's what it's all about. Do you still have it? Oh yeah. Did you get
0: names on your Jersey shake when you played or no?
2: Uh, when you finish, uh, your senior year, they put your name on the back and then like, you know, like senior night and then the banquet afterwards, they give it to you. They give you your Jersey.
0: That's
2: cool. Yeah. It's kind of cool. And they in at North Penn they would switch people's numbers a lot. Like if you were if you were a uh like the superstar of the team that everybody's scouting against, they uh especially with scrimmages in the beginning of the season, they would switch your numbers so that teams couldn't so they couldn't go in saying, "Hey, look out for number 20," you know. Number 20 might be wearing number 35 or something. that kind of thing. Yeah. A little deceptive. I get it. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. <laughs>
0: strategy all right nice okay so hey who was the who was your friend that was the best player on team was it kev scott
1: uh no 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 uh it was my buddy uh stewie
0: i don't know if i ever met stewie uh
1: i think you might have a few times he was uh a tall drink of water he he just really in shape like s six two yeah you met stewie oh s you mean s no, no, no. Not S. I mean, S, S is a tall drink of water, but S is a is not, you know, not S McCormick. All right. <laughs> Love
0: S. Okay. So let's move on. So uh, let's get into why we're here. The nitty gritty of your job stuff. So uh, job history. So uh, your first job, your mom was, your mom had three sons that went to a Catholic school. She was very involved. So eventually they're just like, Hey, you just want to, you want to take over some stuff? And she was like, yeah, sure. I'm the best. So she got you a gig working as a janitor at your Catholic grade school during the summer. Was that the first gig? Yes. Nice. Seems like a nice little summer gig. What were the hours?
1: Um, I worked. Uh, I would get there at like 9 o'clock in the morning, work until 1. I mostly like mowed grass, uh, pulled weeds. And the one thing that followed me th- through the rest of school was I had to scrub the desks. Oof. You know, kids who are artistic are, are gonna draw on the desks and everything mm-hmm. like that. I remember being in high school and people drawing on the desk, and I was—I would just look at them and be like, "You know, someone has to scrub that off, right? With hard work and perseverance, they just—yeah, they have to scrub." This it. is the they school so, that you yeah, went to
2: as as a child. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Is was there any did, that'd be cool if you saw something on there that you had written as like a little kid. That would be that would really tie it together.
1: Yeah. It, it would, but but Shake, I would I would never Yeah. You have too much respect. I, would never, yeah I would never defend property yeah. like that. <laughs>
2: Sounds kinda <laughs> guilty.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, you know, honestly, I could see Plotsky being like, You son of a bitch. You don't know how much that scrubs away at my soul every time I have to watch boys to men off of the back of this desk, you bastard. <laughs> 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 oh, man, I remember I remember that so, I remember when you would get a book like handed down to you from like the year before like a textbook. Oh mm-hmm. my god. Littered with junk in there. Jesus. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: I wonder if you can even do that now with like cuz everything's tablets. So like how do you graffiti a tab? I mean like obviously you can like scratch something onto the tablet, but like there's nothing you could put into the tablet that would pop up saying like, you know, like West Side Sliders, woo woo woo, or something like that. I don't know. But you gotta you gotta leave a comment. <laughs> no, I guess you could. All right. Yeah. So all right, let's keep it shaking. So you did that job from I guess middle school all the way through high school, and then as a senior in high school, you were uh you got a got a job as a starter at a
1: golf course. Yeah uh that was a that was a great gig um i had to be up there at six o'clock in the morning to open up the clubhouse yep Uh, i would set up the carts and everything along those lines clean them out you know wash them down and then i just sat outside and made sure that there was a good interval between everybody going out so they weren't on top of each other Mm -hmm.
0: did you was this the kind of golf course where like so I've been to golf courses before where they're like, look, you can't have your hat backwards. You can't like, your shirt has to be tucked in. Like, you can't look like, you know, some hood out there. Like you need to look like respectable or whatever. Like, was this that kind of spot? Or are you just letting guys out there like, you know, in, in wife feeders and jeans smoking camels, you know, doing their thing?
1: Oh uh, yeah, no, it was the, it was the Um It was, the um, it was a, a, a local uh, municipal golf course. And the two guys I worked with were both in their seventies. Uh, the one guy was this tall guy. He had glasses. He he was kind of like a quiet guy. The other guy was just like a a small, like bowling ball of a man. And he lived right off the golf course and he would walk up every day. He was the kind of guy that always chewed on his cigars. He's always had a cigar in his mouth, whether he was smoking it or not. Um, so, yeah, no, it was pretty lax up there. Yeah, I could tell.
0: Eesh. But yeah. it was a good gig. You liked, like, so the golf carts,
1: they all have to be charged, right? Is that how they work or what's going on? Uh, no, there's um a, an actual battery in them, like a car battery in them. Ah. So they ran until they didn't. Um, it was just pretty easy. I just had to line them up, like make sure they were swept out, make sure everything was cleaned out. Uh, I got to sit outside and also I got to golf for free after I was done for the day.
0: You get into gaffing a little bit? How are you doing there? I'm not, a, I mean, I suck at golfing. Everyone knows by now that my big move is the chapstick. You put a little chapstick on the head of your club and you're never going to slice. That what makes me an ace. But how are you at the gaffing? How are you at swinging the shillelaghs?
1: Well, I'm going to need some chapstick. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> um, I was okay. At one point. And, and, and by okay, I mean that very, very laxly. Um, when I was working up there, I was, I was able to play every day. Yeah. So that's the one thing about golf. You have to be continue to go out. Um, the last few years, I just haven't had the time, and I'm just horrendous at it. Um, one of your other guests, uh, Nick Gill, is a phenomenal golfer. I don't want to slow him down. So.
0: And a phenomenal person.
1: Yeah, he's all right. So. Nah. so-
2: Here's my question regarding, uh, the golf course and specifically being a starter. Uh, and I've always wondered this and it kind of goes for like every job of that kind of ilk where you, it's your job to be the gatekeeper of something. What is your threshold? If someone just walks on and tries to like bully their way into it, you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I've had jobs where I I've thought to myself, like if someone just shows up uh, and walks through, I, I'm not going to stop them. I, I don't feel like it. I don't get paid enough to like, you know, match, you know, strength with someone over, over getting through here or something. Was that ever a case for you?
0: You mean like someone like, um, on the play without paying shake? Like just being like, look, I'm just going to play a quick nine. And you yeah. want to stop me. called the cops.
2: Absolutely. Cause and the course that I, I played some golf back in the day and the course that I went to always had this like militant starter and he, I don't know if he was actually in the military or if he just acted like he was in the military, but he was insane with it and he would make us sign our names at like the starting thing and he would like look at our signatures as if he was somehow gonna like verify that if they were real signatures or i don't even know why he would even need to do something like that
0: Is it mainland?
2: um yeah uh there was no the not mainland it was i think it was skip back um oh. and, and and like i was always like kind of just go with the flow kind of dude but my buddy uh who i always golfed with steve scuba steve he was, Steve, he he's a little adverse to uh, authority, and if he feels oh, like he's God. getting bullied or pushed upon, he is going to resist. And Good man, he and that guy always went at it. They were always at each other's throats. Anyway, but oh. my point is is I'm always wondering, like, why are they so strict about this? What, are people really just walking up here and trying trying to like? <laughs> <strike them? laughs> now that being said, we actually did do that at some other courses where you start on the second hole or the third hole. <laughs> And, and and this is why
1: they need the starter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I never had any experience like that. You, you had to pay, like right where I was standing. Uh, the only time that I had an issue was someone didn't want to wait the allotted time. Like I would usually give like fifteen minutes in between people going out. Just yeah, so let them hit their hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So someone's not breathing down your neck. The only time I ever had to do that was these guys were these i should say kids were trying to tee off and i kept telling them i was like i was like guys like five more minutes they walked up they set up their balls the one kid hit a ball so i just casually walked up and just stood on the tee in front of them (laughs) until the the time until the time was done i was like all right guys now you can go yeah not a big deal five minutes
0: yeah have fun enjoy your day yeah like why why'd you have to rush to nail the person in the cart in front of you christ <laughs> you know you should have let the people behind them go right away <laughs> so- <laughs> 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 be great. i
2: thought i would have done
0: that i would have been like "Fuck yeah hey hey yeah. not wait see what happens when you don't wait you little bastards yes yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of room for contention in golf. There, you know, the people in front of you, the people behind you, riding up your ass. The and the ultimate insult, the ultimate insult is to not put the uh, the flag back after you oh, oh, leave oh, the flag oh, down. Yeah. Move on to the next hole. I mean, that's a declaration of war, as far as I'm concerned.
0: For sure for sure that's like a hell worthy trespass if you don't put the flag back, i guess the pin i don't know what the fuck they call it yeah Yeah. yeah you're fucking oh my god that there's a place reserved for you in hell for that man oh my god yeah i don't even play golf that much and last time i did play i cheated and i was smoking cigarettes and drinking booze the whole time but even i know you don't not put the flag back but i did learn a couple things like you can't walk across someone's lie and you know, you don't want to start singing outcasts while they're taking a swing. Things like that, you know, small things. Sure, yeah,
1: pretty standard stuff.
2: <laughs> Traditional, th- I mean, that centuries-old, you know, rules yeah. of the game. Yeah. The, yeah <laughs> the game. Now, uh, Polatsky, did your course, did it have the um, snack cart with the girls driving around?
0: Ooh, that's. Cart? I think, to me, that's one of the, okay, so... I have a thing, it's a Rita's water ice theory, where Rita's water ice only hires good looking chicks mm-hmm. because, one, you don't want your ice cream served to you by some sweaty, hairy old 40-year-old man asking, hey, you want some sprinkles on that cone, ah, huh, buddy? You know, <laughs> like you, you know, I bet you sell more sweet cream than a good looking chick.
2: Get a bunch of arm yeah. hairs in your, in your, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i feel the same thing applies to like the snack cart girl for a golf course would you agree polotsk
1: oh uh 100% love it and they loved you i'm assuming no oh, yeah uh they were only there on the weekends which was which was fine with me but uh you yeah, know they were all cute um and they were working for tips so it, it it makes sense you want a cute girl out there just yeah giving you CLs and MLs and BLs continue on. the
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think that those, um, some courses had them, some courses didn't have them. Uh, the ones that had them, usually they would have a real nice setup. Like the, the cart itself would have a bunch of coolers. They would sometimes sell hot dogs out of them. I, for the life of me, if I owned a golf course and this may happen one day, no, I'm just kidding. I, I won't ever own a golf course. Um, but maybe, um, my cart people will have basically a moving restaurant on their cart. I, when I would golf, I would always golf with my buddy, Steve, and then, uh, my oldest brother, uh, Jack, and now those two just golf together. They've cut out the middleman and they golf together. My brother, Jack, I mean, there's no telling how much money this guy has spent on snacks at the golf cart. Or, or at the middle, you know, at the ninth hole snack stand, places should yeah. be. They should be racking up. That's where people should be spending most of their golf money. Is drunkenly buying more expensive beer at the ninth hole or beyond?
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, absolutely. I
0: agree. I think too. Plus, like, like you know, what comes to my mind? Imagine if you just had like a taco stand on that thing or something like that. Like you could be just shelling out the cash. Yeah, but I agree. And plus, if you made it more of like, like if you made it more of a casual thing where the ninth hole, like, look, you're going to shoot the first nine, right? Then you're going to have a little lunch and then the back nine after lunch. You know what I mean? And made like, instead of it being like a ninth hole snack bar, it was like a ninth hole like cafe where you would have a restaurant and like do your thing and then go back out, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if they do that, but to me, that seems like it would be a freaking no hell. doubt. No winter doubt. Winter yeah. But selling beer on the golf course, that's the number one thing. So, all right. So let's keep it moving. You're a golf course stata. After that, you, uh, you started your freshman year in college and you were a server at a diner in East Stroudsburg. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And how'd that go for you? First time in the service industry?
1: Yeah, um it went uh, as poorly as you can expect.
0: Serving <laughs> <laughs> and bartending is not for everybody, especially if you're like someone who's like can't like, you know, I would say Plotzki, you're a quick-witted fella and uh, you know, if someone gives you a little snap, you're going to give them some snap right back as you should. But when you're working for tips, giving people snap right back doesn't always work, you know what I'm saying? So as uh yeah. how long were you a server at the uh, as a freshman? Uh
1: a week and a half.
0: Oh boy. And then yeah, were you fired? I was. And why was that?
1: Uh well, I was uh it was 4th of July weekend and I just started there. I um actually came home to the valley for the festivities and I get a call on July 3rd. When I'm already – it's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm already up at my buddy's house having a good time, seeing people that I haven't seen all year. And uh, they called me and said, hey, you have to come in tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Jesus! And I said, well, I wasn't – yeah, I said I wasn't scheduled. Um, you know, I'm, I lied. I'm like an hour – I'm like an, I'm an hour and a half away. And uh, they were like, well, if you don't come in tomorrow, don't come back in. <laughs> It was like okay this is this that's is great
0: real, that's a real shit move too like you've been working there a week and they're already dumping this on you like with no no like pre thing right like they didn't say like hey man uh we might need you on july 4th so just be ready you know and then two out you know less than 24 hours before your shift starts they say hey you have to come in or you're fired
1: that's just poor. Yeah, it, it, it was a real, it was a real shipbag move. So,
0: so yeah. is, that, is that restaurant still there? Uh, no, it burned to the ground. Yeah. Oh, surprise, surprise. That's what happens oh, to people. Yeah. So okay, so you you got done gonna, with that? Let me here. ask this
2: question: What what kind of diner are we talking about? Like standard, weird, like metal wall diner thing going on? Like, is it like a traditional looking yeah. diner?
1: It was um, it was a converted uh train station. Like a gimmicky oh, yeah.
2: diner.
1: Yeah, it, it it was really gimmicky. Um, think of uh, think of the murals on the walls of uh parks and recreation, <laughs> but they weren't trying to be. I love it.
2: Yeah, that's I great. Love- that's great <laughs> reference. That's good stuff.
1: Yeah. It, was um, it a good but yeah. Like,
2: was it a place that you held near and dear, and then it? It was soiled be, from this working experience, or did you not really give a crap about it anyway?
1: Oh, I couldn't have cared less.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's better.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I uh, I ended up um, enjoying the rest of my evening, uh-huh. uh, waking, driving back to East Stroudsburg, sure. and uh, when I got there, they wanted to test me a little bit, so they gave me one table, uh, a mother, father, and two children. Oof. And then like a and then like a 12 top came in, and I was getting help from the other servers, but they just wanted to like see how it would do with like taking all the orders and everything so my my first table, the mother father and two children, uh got a little bit irritated when I didn't drop off their marinara sauce Oh, <laughs> <laughs> a sin that could never be remedied yeah. um. Yeah. So, uh, one of the servers tells me about it, and I walk over and I give this woman the um, marinara sauce. She then goes off on me about how I'm incompetent. Oh. How how obviously I'm a college student, but how would anybody like me ever be able to get into college?
0: (laughs) Oh, uh, my God. This bitch can go to hell. Who the fuck did I who who raised you that you can be that rude to a complete stranger for some fucking marinara sauce? Wow, it's a marinara, right? Like, hey, uh, well, wait, wait a sec. You'll get. You can still eat your mozzarella sticks. You fucking asshole. That makes me so. <laughs> rude. I hate that shit. Well,
1: well, Maddie, I ended up her. I ended up telling her that. Um, <laughs> I looked. At, I looked at her. I looked at her mouse of a husband. Yeah. And I just looked at him, and I just simply said, are you going to let her fucking talk to me like that? And, you know, she drops her spoon, starts screaming at me. The kids oh, are aghast. The husband doesn't know where to look. Um, so at one point, I just simply said to her, well, if you weren't acting like a bitch, maybe I wouldn't have said that. Oh, at this point, she at this point, she's is she standing up from the table screaming for the manager. I simply walked to the drink station. I took off my apron, walked out to the front, and the manager came out and was like, Well, you know, you're fired, right? And I was like, Yeah, man, I'm, I know. I'm fired.
0: <laughs> Dude, that's great. You know how many servers out there wish they could, like, wish they could do that? Wish they could be like, Really? Fuck. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh. There's a million and a half times that I've prayed that I could have, like, that's what I love about grams is that I can say that and I fucking do. But <laughs> like when you're working at like a, like, I, I wouldn't say Vinny T's is higher end, but like a, you know, a more reputable place and stuff and, and Christopher's and Wayne, like you can't get away with saying things like that, even though you're more than justified in saying those things because how, how like, nothing makes me angrier. like one thing if you were like if you came up to the table and you were like completely rude and like all these things and bad service i've had the worst service in the world and i still wouldn't be rude just because i know the job and also i'm not a fucking asshole who would be rude to an ignorant like to like be ignorant to a perfect stranger like that is just to me it makes me so angry but good, good. Fuck them. And you showed them and whatever. You don't need that goddamn job <laughs> anyway. So.
2: I mean, there are bad, there are bad servers out there though. You have to. There, do- are, there <laughs> are, there
0: are, there are, there are. But people,
1: people, don't are one of them.
0: People, people don't understand. I wish like, like you can go up to a table and give them your backstory, right? Like Byrne told us the story of he had to wait tables the day he put uh, Bowie down and Bowie was his dog that he had had for God knows how many years great dog and and polotsk you are a huge fan of bowie right and you know and and he had to not only had to put him down he had to put him down uh two hours away from work so he had to put this dog down no one would cover for him he then had to drive two hours to work work for four hours make whatever money like and if someone you know like he, obviously he's in a mood like i wish he could have been like hey look like, I'll get everything you need, but don't expect me to sing and dance for you today. I had to put my fucking dog down. Like, you know, like a server can't tell that to a table, right? And they'll never know that shit. And I know you're working for tips, but it's like, I don't know.
2: Maybe me, you could wear a tag. You know, people wear like, hey, it's my first week. Like if you go to a um, the cashier at the grocery store, it'll say in training or today's my yeah. first week. <laughs> it's, you should yeah. be able to put like what your what your baggage is for that day
0: yeah <laughs> i know you are not Hi, my your word, still to me like that's just i don't know i don't know all right so let's move on though because i could talk about server shit all day uh so moving on so after you were a server for a cup of coffee at the diner no pun intended uh oh, pun was intended uh you worked in a warehouse at bed bath and beyond
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: so technically you were in the beyond at Fed bath and beyond
1: oh 100
0: yeah and i've never done that's the one thing i've said that in an episode before never did knock on wood uh haven't had to do retail yet uh, eventually when ilvia leaves me and i have to you know support a child by myself then uh you know i'll probably be having to work retail just to cover the the child support but you know until then i haven't what and you didn't really work retail you were working in like stocking the shelves and in like the back of the store right
1: yeah i would have to do retail every once in a while if they got slammed up front i would have to come out on the floor which probably drove you up the wall oh absolutely yeah
0: interacting with people that's a death sentence but <laughs> 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 so uh all right so okay so you worked at bed bath and beyond how long were you there
1: um i was there a little bit over a year
0: so you're there for a little bit over a year you're kind of like toiling in between school and stuff and then you get a you get a call from uh, your big brother bernie and he said hey how about you change your life how about you move down to philadelphia and you say i'm going to change my goddamn life and move down to philadelphia so then you move down to uh 20th and fairmount to that house is that correct that's correct oh buddy did we have some good times at that place or what
1: oh absolutely I fucking, best I, move i even made
0: dude i fucking loved that house that was a blast man that was a fun place fun fun place
2: is that like a standard
0: no uh so it was uh, i believe it was a twin but it was like a split level twin and dude 20th and fairmount so they were a block and a half away from uh the penitentiary <laughs> there <laughs> right uh, Eastern State Penitentiary, yep. block and a half away from there, right off of Fairmount, which is like a major street that had like a couple bars going there, like uh, you know, like Bishop's Collar and Urban something, whatever. But you know, and then,
2: yeah,
0: yep. yeah, the Urban Saloon, Urban Saloon, and then they had uh this great gyro place called Zorbo's, which was you want a good gyro or souvlaki as Albanians call it, go to Zorbo's, good stuff. But there was like a like, there's a couple people that were lifers there. I think TC was. I know Byrne was. But then there was a bunch of other people that rotated through. And I was just a regular at that place, always sleeping on the couch and partying and stuff. But that was a fun, fun house, man. And you were down there. And while you were there, your uh, TC got you a job delivering pizzas in your magenta Mustang.
1: Ooh, baby.
2: Ooh.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, It was, uh, it was a a Mustang, uh, a 96,
0: (laughs) a 96 Ford Mustang magenta. It was a magenta with a black racing stripe. Is that correct? Blots? That is
1: correct. Oh, baby.
0: Was this thing a prize or was this thing a prize? Everyone that you ordered pizza from must've thought you were a 17 year old girl.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh yeah, one hundred percent. And then I would get out of the car with my uh with my, you know, eight inch fro hemp necklace and sandals and <laughs> they weren't really sure where to look. <laughs> People uh, don't know you man. have a
0: guard Garfun- fro, bro, and I love it. Yep. So delivering pizzas, how do you like that gig? That's a tough gig.
1: Uh I liked it a lot actually. I mean tips were good. Yeah. Um and I like the fact that I mean you kind of just fucked off and did your own thing.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah kind of just in and out doing your thing and i'll tell you what like i know plus two man that's like uh as far as like okay so i know a guy who came here from another country and during the day he would work at a factory from like five in the morning until let's say like two or three in the afternoon and then from four in the afternoon until 11 at night he would deliver pizzas so you get a lot of guys that are like immigrants trying to support their family. Really can't like they're just trying to get by. Like that's their second job, and it's yeah. really like, you know, it's not an easy gig. But those guys, they do they put in their time. You do you do your work as a delivery guy. I always thought at least
1: one hundred percent, especially um, doing it in Center City Philly. Oh, um, uh, uh, cab drivers became my enemy <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> They don't stop for anybody. Well, no, well, no, and like I'm trying to fly around, you know, stop at three different places, deliver the pizza or food hot. Yeah. And these guys are to, you know driving at five miles per hour, oh. you know, on Sixteenth Street, oh. looking for a fare. Uh, I just couldn't have any of it.
0: Yeah. How many times did you did you go around them, flipping them the bird, saying, "Get your ass in gear, buddy"? <laughs>
1: uh, I would have to say a
0: few. <laughs> <laughs> So how long did you, you lived at 20th and Fairmount for quite some time. Cause I remember when you moved in there, it was a big to do. We had a big old bash for you. So how long were you there? Uh, four years. Oh my God. How long? So you must've moved down there in what? 2010 maybe?
1: Uh, Yeah. Somewhere around that range. Eh,
0: maybe a little before then, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere around that range. So you moved down there. We we're partying, having a good time. Uh, then, after four years, you move back to the valley, back to 44, and you're living with a buddy for a couple of years in 44. And that's when you started being uh, working as a porter at the car dealership, right? Yes. All right, everyone, we're going to take a little break from the action to introduce a new segment to the show. This is 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiance with our good friend, Party Boy, Pete McCormick. Take it away, Pete.
1: What's up, Party People? This is Party Boy, Pete McCormick, coming to you from the Watch Party. And today we're going to talk about Paul and Carini. Paul is from the U.S. and he says that he works in IT, but really he works in the electronics department from Target. And he has a little bit of separation anxiety, which explains why he brought down a hair doll of his mother. Why he has trouble finding a girl in the U.S., we will never know. He's about to meet Karimi's father, who is a retired cop, and he doesn't realize that Paul is actually a convicted arsonist. Oh, a keeper in my book. Matt, I think this one's going to go the distance. Anyway, that was 90 Seconds of Day Fiancé with Party Boy Pete. Back to you, boys. All right.
0: Well, that was 90 seconds of 90 Day Fiance with our good friend, party boy, Pete McCormick. Now, back to the show. So, working as a porter at the car dealership. Now, very interested in this job. Reasons uh, are, one, because uh, the editor and producer of the Working Perspectives podcast was a former car porter at a car dealership. Bingo. And... You are a car porter at a car dealership. So to both of you, well, I guess we'll start with you first, Polotsk. What is your daily routine? So you wake
1: up around what time? I'm up at 7.45. Nice. I hop in the shower, um, drink a glass of orange juice, and then head to work, be there by 8.30. Nice.
0: And then, so what is your attire at work? You're doing jeans and a tee or you got a button down and some khakis? What do you got?
1: Uh, I have to wear the um. It's a it's a very large um dealership. So there's like six. There's like sixteen different um brands oh on this dealership. God, it's like a, whoa. Yeah, it's um, it's over like seven and a half acres or something like that. Um, so I go in in the morning, and what we do is um we help determine. What we're going to keep and put through the uh, pre-owned building up top. Mm. I mean, what we're just going to send to wholesale. And then we move the subsequent cars to different positions where they need to go. Hold on. And- Sorry.
0: Back it up real quick. You come in. There's hundreds, of, like oh, probably thousand, like a couple thousand cars on the lot. Seven acres. You got a ton of fucking cars. So yeah, you got a ton of cars on the lot. So you're coming in and right away, you're like chopping the, the bit off at the end saying, okay, these are some pre-owns. They're still in good condition. We can get some money for them. Let's send them up to the sales guys, see if they can whack them up on the top floor. And then there's other ones that you're separating and saying, look, uh, we're just going to try and get some money for these and you're shipping them off to an auction. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So how do you determine between what goes up and what goes to auction?
1: Uh, depending on uh, year, um, the mileage on the car and also the condition of the car.
0: I see. And how do you get the cars to auction?
1: Um, we have, uh, I have to, um, talk to one of our drivers who drives up from Maryland. uh, almost literally every day and they take 9 cars at a time.
0: Oh, it's so uh, to- like big trucks with like the cars kind of stacked on each other. Yes. Do you do you load the cars on that truck? No, god. no no, god no. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. So, you you hit up your drivers and be like, "Hey, we got uh we got 6 going to here for the auction, so come up and pick them up." And then obviously you have to track like all the the numbers associated with that car, all the VINs and all that happy horse shit. And then so are you responsible for recording like the placement of the cars?
1: Uh yeah, in the morning we um uh, we determine where it's going, we put all the paperwork down with it. And then when we're sending cars to auction, um I have to, you know, write down all the information on the sheets and stuff like that and have them have them uh facts down to the auction on usually thursdays when we close out the list for the week yeah
0: so do you just as the dealership i mean obviously you don't know like obviously i don't want any specifics on the money so say you send like 10 cars to auction they're like all right you gave us 10 this time here's your cut boom you know what i mean like is that how it works or do they just get a cut from what they sell at the auction?
1: well it, it, it determines on what we what we have into the vehicle so let's say let's say uh, a Pontiac Grand Dam comes in and uh-huh. we somebody traded in their car and we gave them nine hundred dollars for it okay uh if we send that car to the auction and we get you know someone buys it at the auction for eleven hundred dollars yeah then that's a a net gain for us.
0: Right, but so, okay, but the auction doesn't take a piece of like, so you're, so let's say in that scenario, you get plus 200, right? So is the 200 divided between you guys and the auction or do you get yeah, um, the auction?
1: They, um, they take a, perc- they take a percentage out, but it all determines on the type of vehicle and the type of auction that you're sending it to.
0: I see. Okay. All right.
2: Yeah. And a lot of I those see. are like, And and I, like, like Matt said, I actually worked in this. I did this as well. I was a porter and I dealt with auctions and I dealt with everything, even like the detailing. Um, So like at car dealerships, uh, Palatsky, I don't know if it's the same at the one that you work at because you seem to have a giant operation going. Whereas I worked at like Mm -hmm. a, a family owned private dealership and they had a detail team. But when it came to these auction cars, they did not want their detail team working on them because they were just, they were auction cars. They they don't have to get cleaned for like resale, like level of, of cleanliness. So they would have me like the, the lock guy, just like hose it down, you know, buff it up a little bit, clean the wheels. That's a little trick for everybody out there. If you clean the wheels on your car, it'll look brand new every time. I don't know what it is. It's like a mental thing. If you just clean the really? tires and the rims, it looks, I mean, it won't look brand new, but it'll look a lot cleaner. Um, And these auctions like Mannheim is like the biggest auction around as far as I know, there might be a bigger one, but Mannheim auto auction has like a gazillion locations and stuff, and they have their own detailing teams. So like you can send your beat up piece of shit car there. And if you're willing to pay them a certain percentage or, or whatever the cut is, they'll do the detailing for you and they'll get it off your hands. So, um, it all just depends on how you do it. And and the one thing that I always thought was cool these managers who have to do these appraising, uh, these appraisals of cars when they go to the auction and they have to make a certain amount out of it, it's crazy because like you said, if you trade a car in and you give up nine hundred dollars to the customer to get that trade in, and then you take it to the auction, like the dude on the other end who's buying that car uh, at the auction, they know like the approximate value. You know, like it's their job to not get, to not give you that extra $200. So it's like such Uh, a clash. Like, and, and it's like old school bartering, man. Like the guy that I always worked with, he was always like at the auction, standing there with other dudes, just like him being like, yeah, man, this, you're going to love this car. I I mean, I just had to get rid of it, but you're getting a deal. Like he was always saying stuff like that. I don't know if you're, if you're like, if that's your if you're in that realm at all. But I I always thought that was really funny, like really entertaining to hear these guys bullshitting each other to get an extra, you know, a few bucks out of, out of their own wallets.
0: Shit. And like, they would see like a newbie and be like this fucking fresh meat. We're going to eat this guy alive. Right. Like just take him for.
2: Yeah. And, and also like people who that's not like their profession, like they're there, like they're not like an everyday auction kind of dude. And uh, I, I think those people maybe stick out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah. it's a really interesting <laughs> thing. I, I'd be interested to hear Pulaski like what what your take is on like the auction element, or if you even do you go to the auctions?
1: i I don't. um uh, my my direct manager goes to the auction. Yeah. He um my department uh, on any given day, there's probably like three hundred to three hundred and fifty people working at the dealership that I work mm-hmm. at. I work in a department of three, like my manager, me, and the guy I work with. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're kind of uh, we're kind of self contained. I do hear, as far as the auction stuff goes, I do hear it uh, via phone uh, when I'm in my manager's office and everything along that because he goes to Mannheim uh, once a week. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, well, that's a big deal. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. And as far as like as far as like the polishing stuff goes, um we're sending we're sending so much volume down there that I don't handle that myself um there's an auction down in um Maryland where we send uh the majority of our cars like the car's like under ten thousand dollars that are like beat the hell yeah um last week I sent ninety cars Jesus Jesus so that's yeah ten that's ten truckloads,
0: yes, so that's like two trips a day. Yep. Oh shit. Wow. Oh yeah. So basically it's one guy's job. If he's doing two trips a day to Maryland and back, like there's no way he can make it twice in a day. No way. Right? Like he couldn't go up to Maryland and back and and then up to Maryland and back again in the same day, right? You had to
1: uh, the no, but to this, uh this, well this specific guy um I think he owns like three or four trucks I overall. So he sends, um, well he comes up himself, even though he's the owner and he sends like one more guy. So there are often times where they'll both drive up together in two different trucks and then load 18 and then take it down.
0: Huh? You know, what's interesting to me, that seems like, you know, like jobs creating jobs. So that guy, if he's a private guy, he doesn't, he's not owned by the dealership. That guy owns his own hauling company. Right. So he's where yes. he, his job literally is to haul cars to different auctions. That's a hell of a racket. Like he probably started with one truck, then got two, then got three. Now, like, cause if you're reliable, right. And you do it on time, that's probably like, you know, that's probably half the battle, right? Like you, this guy's reliable. That's why you guys go with him. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: I could assume.
1: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. This guy has been phenomenal. I mean, as I said, if I if I write 90 cars to go, they have to be there by Monday Jesus. to be staged and all the paperwork ready. Mm-hmm. Regardless of when I finish writing them, he'll have it done by Monday. God
0: damn, you can't get that's. See, that's the kind of shit like good. Good on him. That's why he has a job. Good for him. <laughs> that's that's Kind of like blue collar, hardworking shit that I love to see. Like he's a man of his word. He says he gets it there by Monday. He gets it there by Monday. No questions asked you know, and you're not, you guys aren't on them. Like, dude, we need this here. Like, look, we know you'll do it. We're not going to say anything. You know, you're good. Like that's, that's the way it should be fucking. So, but okay. But the key is right. It looks to me at least like, you're always trying to get cars off the lot so you can bring new cars on the lot. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And are you buying at these auctions like your dealership or are they just selling?
1: Uh, depending on the time of the year, let's say, let's say the, uh, dealership itself doesn't get a lot of trades in, uh, to be able to put through the shop and then go out on the pre-owned lot. Um, then in that case, if the inventory is dwindling, they'll go out and, uh, they'll go to an auction like Mannheim and buy 10 cars, 15 cars. No shit. And then they'll call their guy to come pick it up. Damn. So. Yep. That's interesting.
0: So to me, so, okay. So it'll work. It's like, say if I'm Johnny, the customer, right. Johnny, the customer comes into the dealership and I'm driving like uh, you know, let's say just like a Lincoln MKZ. Right. And I come in yep. and I'm like, look, uh, Lincoln MKZ it's, I got to put more work into it than the car's worth. I want to trade it in and get like a nice Honda Accord or something along those lines. Right. So that's where you come in. Say I, you guys take the trade. So you give me whatever money I would get for this car towards the new car, right? I get the new car, take it off the lot. You get the trade in. Then you would then move the trade into the shop. The shop kind of pieces it up, does whatever they need. And then you assess the. Then it's assessed. Are you the one that assesses it or someone else assesses it? Uh, someone else assesses it. So someone else assesses it and tells you, all right, Jeff uh, Pulaski, we need, this car is going to be going to pre-owned. Uh, if it doesn't sell in pre-owned, then we're moving it to the auction by this time, right? Yes. Awesome. Nice. That's kind of cool. Cause you always wonder like, so like I've had to do that exact scenario that I explained, I had to do that. And, <laughs> uh, with those exact cars and, I had to do that, so I was. You always wonder, like, where does the car go? Like in my mind, I'm like, obviously, I know some cars. Like I had a car I'd gotten in a head-on collision with a. I was driving a 2004 Chevy Cavalier, and the car I hit was a tow truck, and uh, let's just say it was like an electric razor going into you know a buzz saw. So <laughs> the tow truck was perfectly fine, not a scratch on it, and my car got decimated. So, I then took that car to, you know, the shop and they're like, "Dude, this thing like it's done. Like insurance will categorize it as done. So, you would just get your the the money for it in scrap metal." Do you deal with that too where you're like sending cars off to the yard to get scrapped?
1: Um every yeah, every once in a while if a car gets towed in and it just won't run and we if we can't physically get it onto the truck, then we'll just get it towed to somewhere. We have um we have like two or three guys and or two or three different locations and they'll just take it for like, you know, 500 bucks or something. Nice. All
0: right. Good. So then you're there like it's a regular like, you know, uh 9 to 5 kind of gimmick. You're there. You get a lunch break? Oh yeah, half hour. Nice. And what do they feel how do they feel about you
1: smoking bones out there? Uh they're uh, they're pretty fine with it. I mean, Most of the dealership smokes, so yeah, so no one really can. That's
0: one thing at my office that I've always wanted to get in on because I see people like the smoker crew out having a smoke, you know. And I used to smoke cigarettes, but I don't smoke anymore. But part of me wants to be like, damn, I should just go out there for a smoke and just talk to these people and get the gossip, you know. But I never do, (laughs) I never do. So what's right. your uh, what's
2: your winter weather situation as far as does the company is the company giving you uh, like a jacket branded jacket because um, I always remember that sucking when I worked uh, at a car dealership is I'd have to gear up big time for the winter and also do you guys move your cars for the snow or do you let them sit?
1: Ooh, um, juicy. So, uh, well. Yeah, so they give us gear. I have like this huge, like massive jacket. It's got like, it's got like one of the inserts, a uh, nice hat, everything like that. So nice. I do have all of that. Um wear shit but shit of work? Um, not really. Oh, All right, it's not that nice. Just, just because I wear it every day, yeah. from nine to five. So you're like uh, fucking sick of it. I, yeah. Well, I, I love it. I like to look good. I like to freshen it up a little bit when I'm yeah. out in the team
0: you're a freaking model walking the catwalk, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, You get you. So you get, they give you some sweet merch and then how about
1: the, uh, how about the snow? What's the deal? uh, So for the snow, depending on how much snow we get, um, they'll either like clump the cars together and then just plow through. But like we had a snowstorm where we got a foot recently and the lot was a mess for, a week yeah
2: yeah
0: but so do you have to do that so does that mean during a snowstorm does that mean the ca- all the cars have to get cleared off right and then someone goes out and like shovels them out and you move the cars all like you move all the cars out of one area then a plow comes in like cleans off a strip then you move the cars back to where they were previously parked is that how it works
1: Yep, it's like Jenga. Dude, who the, f- who, who <laughs> the hell, whose job, is that your job? Uh, no, 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 no,
0: thank God, no. Dude, that seems like, that's like, because I hate having to, I live, so, I I live in a row home, and on my street, when it snows, I am, I'm putting my damn chair out, I don't care if it gets, it's against the law, if someone takes the spot, <laughs> I shovel out, I will break their neck, <laughs> I will break. You know, bury them next to their dead dog. I will not, not handling that shit. So I'll shovel out my car. I'll shovel out my wife's car. You know what I mean? I'll shovel out my in-law's car. You know what I mean? But shoveling out your car is a pain in the ass. So I can only imagine there's hundreds and hundreds of cars on this lot. So to have to shovel out hundreds and hundreds of cars, that is the worst. (laughs) The worst. So, sorry, go ahead, shake.
2: I just was, I was going to say, I'm wondering who, do you guys hire a service to do it? Because when I did it, when I worked at a car dealership, it was an all hands on deck situation and they would text you in the morning and say, wear your snow gear. Cause like, you know, like the salesmen even, especially the salesmen, cause they're the ones who are, you know, hoping to get the cars free so they could sell them and get the commission. They would show up in their jeans and it would be like a day of just shoveling. And it would be like a camaraderie thing where- everybody comes together regardless of department and we're all going to do this. Otherwise the company is going to be stuck. And maybe because you guys have a bigger operation, you have uh, maybe a better plan because it always seemed like there had to be a better way to do this, you know?
0: (laughs) That's, That's another interesting thing. Talk about jobs, creating jobs. I wonder if there's a market for like, obviously there's guys, I know a bunch of guys who do landscaping in the summer and then plow snow in the winter. And like, I know guys that they make good money plowing, right? Like they're doing churches and they're doing banks and stuff like that. So if you had a dealership, like if you had a gimmick with a car dealership, you're like, look, we'll clean off all the cars. We'll help you move them, put them in their spots and plow the parking lot. So it looks like there was no snow here at all. We'll get that all done for you. And you know what I mean? That I think like, you know, like that would be worth a pretty penny, I'd assume, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I think. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, but as far as as far as what Shake said though, um, no, they haven't figured out a better way to do it. It, it is an all hands on deck situation. Oh shit! Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I guess you got it. Yeah, you got to have, you got to get the merch out there. You know what I mean? You would hate that one car that that person wanted to be covered in snow, and that's a sale you don't get, and that's that's just how the cookie crumbles. I hear you. So <laughs> all right, so. um... Polotsky, this has been a blast, my man. How did you like it? I loved it. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, thanks for coming on. Uh, I would love if you would be willing to come back on as a as a repeat guest. Can we have you back on?
1: Absolutely, and I will make sure that uh, I will have a laptop. This time. <laughs> you, know what,
0: you know what we should do? You know what we should do? We should have because I haven't invited Mike on yet, right? So I'm wondering if maybe I shouldn't and you know maybe I'll just have uh you and burn on and then do an episode with just you and burn you know like I think maybe that'd be a good episode if next episode i put you and burn
1: on
2: Ooh. what do you
0: think that sounds like- uh, yeah I'm, I'm, have a little I'm okay with
2: that yeah have a
0: little <laughs> flirt. I mean like I want to have you on again because I want to get to the questions with you eventually, but uh, I would love to have you both on because I think that would be a hell of a hell of a go. And we could talk a little Thrones. Oh, absolutely. That's one thing we didn't get into. So uh, previously, before being a star host of an incredibly award winning podcast, uh, mm-hmm. like I am now, I was an expert guest on another podcast with an asshole as a host. And that podcast, I was a Game of Thrones expert guest on there. And Polotsky and I are big-time Throners. Big-time Throners. Polotsky's an even bigger Throner than I am, and I consider myself a rather large Throner. Mm-hmm. So uh, we didn't really even get into the talk of it about the uh, Fire and Blood, you know, the, the Dragons, the new the new Game of Thrones show coming out. Have you listened to Fire and Blood yet? Or read Fire and Blood yet, Polatsky? I have not. Oh, dude, I've been through it a couple times. It's really good. I'm excited. It sucks, though, so so... It's actually kind of good in a way because where they left it is they leave it before uh, a dance of dragons. So the dance of dragons is there's a civil war in house Targaryen. So, so the, the Targaryen dynasty lasted about 300 years, about 150 years into the dynasty. They had a civil war where there's two uh, factions in house Targaryen that went at each other. So, like you saw in Game of Thrones, there was one army that had a dragon that dominated. Without question. One one army had a dragon and dominated. Imagine two armies that both have a ton of dragons. Like, ten on each side. You know? So imagine we're gonna get some nice nice dragon on dragon going there. So... But the Dance of Dragons, they don't even get to that. They, they kind of stop the book there. That's like the halfway point. But... So, yeah, so, and then the end of the, I guess the end of Fire and Blood 2 would end with uh, with uh, Robert Trevelyan, which would be incredible. So, okay, so enough Thrones talk. Uh, we've come to the top of time, and Pulaski, man, thank you so much for coming on. You were a great guest, and thanks for working with us to get through all this stuff. Yeah. We loved having you, and we're definitely going to have you back on.
1: Yeah, please so, come back. Uh,
0: yeah, so uh, before we go, I just want to say thanks to Pulaski for coming on. Jake Lavelle, thanks for having me, guys. You got it, pal. So uh, just remember, this is the Working Perspectives Podcast. You can find us on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. We're also on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at Pod. And if you would like to be a guest on the show to go through the approval process to be a guest, uh, submit your request to us at workingperspectives at gmail.com. All right. This is the end of the show. So turn it the hell off. Bye. Do you have a message or a story inside of you that you've been waiting to tell? Have you always dreamed of writing a book but are intimidated by the complexities of the book publishing world? Perhaps you want to use a book to launch your public speaking or consulting career. If so, please reach out to Scott and Bell Publishing, located right here in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Scott and Bell Publishing handle all genres and authors with all experience levels. Scott and Bell Publishing gives authors 100% creative freedom and a higher royalty split. They can be found at www.skot.com. B E L L dot com. That's www.s is in Sam, K is in Kite, O is in October, E is in Tom, B as in Boy, E is in Edward, L is in Larry, L is in Larry com. That's Scott and Bell Publishing, where the authors go.